What if I told you that covenants with God could change your life forever? Most people don't really understand what a covenant is or how it can benefit them. Covenants are agreements between two or more entities or people. But the most important covenants are the ones we have with God. Because with God, all things are possible. In this series of teachings, Pastor Nee helps us understand what covenants are, why do they exist, and what are the different types of covenants. So let's take a journey through the Bible as we discover the power of covenants. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's so good to see all of you, especially Coach. <laughs> wow. Let's give him a hand. Wow, wow, wow. To some of you, he's only Coach, but to me, he's a real Coach. Uh, believe it or not, there was a time we used to have a soccer team. Yours truly... I, I, I was a versatile player, you know, on defense, midfield, everywhere. And that was our coach. The name of our team was MC5, Matthew Chapter 5. That was the name of the team. Uh, Selwyn was a great striker. And uh, it was a fun time. It was second service. Every Sunday after church, sometimes we drive all the way to Cobb County to go play soccer. And... Uh, Anyway, the Lord was good, and he is still good. He ensured we did not break any bones. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for our gathering today. We pray that you would help us. Give us illumination and understanding into your word as you explore with us the power of covenant. In Jesus' name do I pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about... Uh, blood covenant. And before we do, I'd like to uh, show us something that I'll have us file it away because we will need it in the course of the service. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Matthew 6, 13. It says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I believe that's part of the Lord's Prayer. All right. Now, how about Proverbs 19.5? Proverbs 19.5. Proverbs 19.5. A false witness will not be unpunished, nor will a liar escape. If you look at the two texts we have just read, there are two sentences which is very identical or the same, but they are put in different ways. Lead us not into temptation is one. The next one in Matthew 6, 13 is, but deliver us from evil. In Proverbs 19:5, it says, a false witness will not go unpunished. Nor will a false witness is a liar, right? But he's saying a liar will not escape. So he's saying the same thing. 
um, it is very critical. It's a format in Jewish literature that is called parallelism. It's part of English literature as well, where you write sentences, verses, or stanzas in parallel, and they mean the same thing. In this particular case, this type of parallelism is what we call synonymous, okay? I'm saying that because I want to go somewhere. Let's now look at Psalm 105, verse 8 to 10. Then I will establish my point and have you file it away, and then it will make sense to you when we get there. I'll let you know when to bring it out of your folders. He always, can I get, can I get the uh, uh, King James? And he remembers his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. So the commandment of the Lord is his covenant as well. I took time to explain to you what is parallelism. This is a synonymous one, just like the ones we did. So when God issues a command, it is a covenant. Nine, which covenant he made with Abraham and his what? Oath unto Isaac. So when God swears an oath, it is also a what? Ten. And confirm the same unto Jacob for a what? And to Israel for an everlasting covenant. So between verse 8 to 10, we have realized that the covenant of God is not only when physically uh, stuff is done to say this is a covenant. When God speaks, it is a covenant. When he swears an oath, it is a covenant. When he gives a command... It is a covenant. That is why last week we said of the covenant of works that when God told Adam, do not eat of this particular tree, it was a covenant which he established with him. Leviticus, now let's take off. File it away. I'll let you know when to bring it out of your folder. Leviticus 17, 11. Hallelujah. I don't know, but I'm excited already. Leviticus 17, 11. It says that life is in the blood. You know that text already. All life is in the blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. Life is in the blood. When you're hemorrhaging and you lose blood, you die because life oozes out of you. When you get a cut, blood rushes to wherever the cut is, interlocks, so that it will prevent germs from entering through the soil. Not only is life in the blood, diseases are also carried through the blood. Blood is so potent to God. In antediluvian periods, man was a herbivore. In other words, we were only eating 
I didn't want to say it. If I was living in the anti-Jubilivian period, you would not have to beg me to eat salad. Now you do. I will, because that is the norm. Anti-Diluvian period, we're talking about the period from creation to before the floods. Okay? After the floods, man now was instructed by God that you can eat, you, you can eat flesh, animal flesh. But there is a condition. You must drain the blood of the animal totally before you eat. Because life is in the blood. When Adam sinned, the virus that is called sin was inoculated into him and subsequently all his progeny, including you and I. So for someone to be qualified to redeem us, that person must have blood that is not contaminated. That's why Muhammad would not do it for me. That's why Confucius won't do it for me. Buddha may be a sage, but his blood is contaminated. And it's as a result of that contamination that you can locate their graves. Because death has become a gravitational pull that is holding them until the final day. When in John chapter 5, Jesus says, and they shall hear my voice, and everyone that is dead will come out of their graves. Those that have done right unto eternal life, and those that have done wrong into eternal damnation. All right? So this power that is in the blood, God issued or instituted a covenant with the first man created, Adam and Eve, in Genesis 3, 21 and 22, when they sinned. God used the blood of the animal, more than likely a lamb, and he used the blood to cover their spiritual nakedness. And then the skin of the animal, he used to cover their physical nakedness. Adam and Eve, then, we can extrapolate, taught their children, Cain and Abel, about the right way to make sacrifices unto God. That you don't come to God with any other thing apart from blood. So in Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel went to go offer sacrifices unto God. Abel brought very nice watermelon, pineapples, and things like that. Really fresh. When we were in Sunday school way back in Africa, I don't know whether that year was the same. We were taught that the reason his was not accepted was because he brought stuff that was rotten. The Bible did not say that. It was because he did not come with blood. Abel came with blood. And so Genesis 4, 4 says, unto Abel, God had respect unto him and his offering. But Cain, he did not have. Cain was so furious that he wanted to kill his brother. But God said something to him. The opportunity was still open for him to go back and bring an animal. If you had done right, would you not have been accepted? Here is the window. But be sure and take care because sin is waiting for you at your door. If Cain had gone back to bring a lamb, God would have had respect for him as well. Because what God requires is 
animal sacrifice. So Cain gave what God, what Cain wanted, and Abel gave God what God wanted. There is a reason. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, we read of the first Passover. When the angel of death was to visit Egypt, and God gave them a command, a covenant. I want you to kill a lamb. When you go into your house, I want you at the door to put the mark of the blood at the doorpost. And the death angel that will come, when he sees the blood, he will jump over your house. Hallelujah, somebody. The blood is so potent, I contend, that if the firstborn of Pharaoh had by accident being in the house of a Jew that had that blood, he would not have died that night. Because the differentiator is not the morality of the Jews that are inside their homes. It is the power of that blood. So it does not matter who is under the blood. For as long as you are under the blood, you are under the protection of the blood. And you are under the freedom of the blood. And you are under all the deliverance that comes by the blood. If you can understand the power that God has put in the blood, your life will never be the same. You and I that look on the outward appearance will look at a woman like Rahab in Joshua chapter 2 and say she is a prostitute, low or no morals and good for nothing headed for hell. But when Moses sent the spies, I mean Joshua sent the spies, thank you pastor, and they came to Jericho. The Bible says Rechab received them. And when she received them, she began to say something. Because of time, we will not be reading the scriptures. Joshua chapter 2, go read it. The Bible says, she said unto the spies, we have heard about the goodness of your God. And how he dried the Red Sea. And how he dealt with the Egyptians. I know God has given you this city already. Look at the prostitute talking. The one that you call a prostitute is preaching here. I know God has given you this city already. I am going to show you kindness. Now begin to take what I taught you out of the folder, okay? When they were about to go, in fact, the authorities sent to a house. Her house is located on the city wall. Those days, walls are very thick and you have apartments in the wall. They said, these people have come here. We have intelligence that these Jewish spies have come here. She hid them in the roof. And then she created a subterfuge 
and said, oh, no, they are, they've gone. Oh, they're they already gone, long time ago. In fact, you should go this way. If you hurry up, you may catch them. And then they left. After they left, she brought down the spies. And when they were about to go, she said, not so fast. Joshua chapter 2, verse 12. Now, can I preach to somebody? Joshua 2, Joshua 2, 12. Joshua 2, 12. Joshua 2, 12. Joshua chapter 2, verse 12. Please, now take what I asked you to file away now. And know that the woman demanded they made a covenant with her. And a blood covenant. She said, now therefore I pray you. Swear on, when God makes a covenant, he does what? He swears an oath, right? Swear unto me by the person you are calling a prostitute. Swear to me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house. And give me what? The person that you will thump your nose at and issue an unwarranted, unhealthy sanctimony against. She had enough God in her to know that if my condition will ever be changed, I need to enter into a blood covenant with God. No wonder the Bible says by faith, the harlot Rahab, by faith, she entered the hall of faith. For she believed and did not perish with those who did not believe. No wonder God said, ah, ah, I have found something in you. I will graft you into the lineage of my son. He ended up becoming the great grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person you call a harlot. Be careful what you label, what labels you put on people. For the Bible says, God, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the... Give me verse number 18 and 19 so I can move on. My time is going. Give me verse 18 and 19. Now, she asked them to make a covenant with her by the Lord and show her a token. <laughs> Hallelujah. She is about to experience her own mini Passover. Yes. Look at 18. This is what the spies told her. Behold, when we come into the land, then shall bind this line of scarlet red. Wait a minute. Did not have time to go get a lamb. So those Jews that left Egypt and they recalled the first Passover, they said it was blood that was put on the doorpost. We will give us something to represent the blood. No wonder it was not green. No wonder it was not yellow. No wonder it was not pink. No wonder it was not white. It was a scarlet. Scarlet is red. It's a sign. That is the token she was asking for. And show me a token. Blood covenant. I have heard of what God did in Exodus 12, 13. I want my own Passover too when you guys come to destroy this place. They gave her a scarlet thread. And they said, put it in a window. Ah, uh, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father, thy mother, thy brethren, and all thy father's household. In fact, all your customers, you can even bring them. Remember what I told you? 
that if Pharaoh's son had made it into the house of a Jew, he would have been spared. Bring them. As long as they are under your roof, where there is the token of the blood. In fact, they were so confident, they said to her, everybody you will bring into your household, where there is the token, which is the blood, represented by the scarlet red, we can guarantee you that they will be safe. However, if they wander into the streets and they die, their blood is not on our head. That's what they told her. Read verse number 19. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of the house into the street, his blood shall be upon his own head because you are, you are outside the jurisdiction of the blood. You are outside the covering of the blood. You are outside the protection of the blood. You are outside the freedom of the blood. Your blood will be on your own head. You are not under. And we will be guiltless. And whoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood will be on our head. That is how confident they were about the delivering power of a blood covenant. My time is going, Joe. Let me. Hallelujah. How about David, the shepherd boy? David was sent by his father to go give supplies to his brethren who were conscripted into the military. And there he saw this Philistine giant just casting insinuation and denigrating the Lord God Almighty and the armies of God. He was standing somewhere and he was issuing threats. Is there no man among you that can come and fight him? Let him come. David heard and he was vexed. When David met Goliath, Goliath was disadvantaged in three areas. Three. You want to know them? 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. 1 Samuel 17, 26. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Work with me. Hallelujah. Okay. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defile the armies of God? Ah, that's covenant language. Because what is David doing discussing private parts in the middle of a battle? It does not make sense to the natural, does it? But he is talking about something supernatural. In other words, I am a covenant child. I bear in my body a blood covenant that has been gone by God and my father Abraham. This man is outside that covenant. Therefore, I have an advantage over him. That's the first advantage. Second advantage. David recognized the positioning of the Philistine army. And he realized that there was a spiritual injunction that was placed on their advancement. They could not go beyond where they were. Does it not make, is it not foolish that when Goliath thought Israel was at their weakest ebb, 
He kept saying, why don't you let somebody come? Why didn't he go? Have you ever thought about that? Because he knew he had the advantage. You want to know why? Because the blood was holding him in place. It's not my words. First Samuel 17, 1. First Samuel 17, 1. Work me, guys. Work with me. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And were gathered together at what? Shoko. Sounds like that or Shoka. Shoko. Which belonged to Judah and pitched between Shoko and Asakah in what? Ephesdamim. Glory to God. I feel like preaching to myself. Go look in your Strong's concordance. It will tell you that the meaning of Ephesdamim is boundary of blood. There is a boundary of blood that supernaturally was holding them in place. They can never go beyond where they were. When you are, have, you are under a blood covenant, the Lord puts a boundary on your enemies. They can never get to you. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night, nor the arrows that flies by noon day. A thousand shall fall by your side, ten thousand by your right hand side. It shall not come near you, only with your eyes shall you behold the destruction of the wicked. Why? Because he that dwells in the secret place of the Almighty shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of my God, he is my God. The power of the blood. Alright. Let me give you the anatomy of a blood covenant. For that, we'll go to Genesis 15. You have to read from verse 8 all the way to 18. There's so much I have to give you, we can't read it all. You know, in Genesis 15, 14, Abraham had just returned from the battle of the kings where he rescued his nephew Lot. And the king of the place came after he had congratulated Abraham and said, I want you to just take whatever you want out of these spoils of war. Abraham looked to him and said, I will take nothing from you from a thread to a shoe latchet, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. Because Abraham remembers that the God that called him said he will make him rich. You don't have what it takes. So in chapter 15, verse 1 now, that God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, because you believe so much in me, I will be your shield and your exceeding great reward. Hallelujah. Abraham said, okay, Oga. <laughs> Oga, in chapter 12, you came to me in Elder Chaldeans. You made certain promises. My children will be so great and vast. Is that thing going to happen now? See, I go childless. And this Eliezer of Damascus is the only heir that I have. God said, no. He is not going to be. What I have promised you will come to pass. You know, in chapter 12, God comes to him and makes a covenant and says, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
I'm creating a special people from you. And that's what philosophers call the scandal of particularity. The scandal of particularity is the idea or notion that why will God be so particular about a particular time? You know those people who think they are so astute and knowledgeable, they want to challenge God. Create a fancy word, scandal of particularity. But what they did not know is that the particularity of God was for his ultimate universality. Because he says, from your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And from his exclusivity will come his ultimate inclusivity. That's why the Bible says for scripture foreseen that God will justify the heathen by faith. Preach the gospel unto Abraham. All right, let me go ahead. And so, okay, this thing, when will it be fulfilled? He said, this Eliezer, no, I'm talking about, he said, okay, when are we going to sign the contract? He said, okay, all right, you want to sign the contract? Let's do it now. Abraham was ready. He thought the blood covenant was about to be enacted. Then God began to give him a grocery list. He said, um, get you a three-year-old Ifa. <laughs> Ifa is a cow that has never given birth before. It must be three-year-old. Abraham said, ah, okay. You won a Ifa. All right. Can we do it now? That's say no. Get you a three-year-old ram. A three-year-old uh, she-goat. I don't know why. God is so wise. He did not say he-goat. He said she-goat. Maybe, because, <laughs> you know, he-goats, they are very stubborn. You know, there's an African proverb that says, they think they are wise. There's an African proverb that says that if intelligence is signified by the beard, the billy goat would have been a genius. So, <laughs> yes, billy goat, the male one. They are very stubborn. You, in my village, they are very stubborn. Maybe where you come from, you don't have them free range like that. You know, the story is told of, you know why, where we come from, right? When a vehicle is coming, the sheep runs towards the vehicle, but the goat runs away. There's a reason. The goat and the sheep, they took Molwe from Ikeja. They were going to Agege. I'm sure they were going to buy Agege bread. And, and when they were about to alight and get to Agege, I'm sure they were going to buy Agege bread. I told you. The conductor said, ah, <laughs> where's the money now? Billy Goat jumped out and ran. But the sheep, run. he gave the money. There was excess. The conductor said, because your friend has run, I won't give you your money. So when a car is coming, the sheep is running to go and get his money. But the goat is running away because he's, he's afraid they'll come and ask him for the money. All right. So God gives Abraham a... Uh, grocery list, and Abraham goes to get this. God says, I want you to cut them in half. The three-year-old Haifa, the three-year-old Ram, and the three-year-old She-Goat. Cut them in half. And I want you to also get a turtle dove, and I want you to get some pigeons, and cut them as well. But put the Haifa side by side. The She-Goat 
side by side. The ram, side by side. Now, in a blood, typical blood covenant, when you're about to cut the covenant, there are two major things that are what I call linchpins of the blood covenant. The first is the sacrificial animal that is being cut. That is what he has just done. The second part, which is even much more important, is what is called the walk of death. The covenanting parties will walk in between the animals that are laid side by side. And here is the inference. You are saying that we are covenanting together that as we walk through these animals that are cut, we will obey our portion of the bargain. If I renege on fulfilling my portion of the obligation, may I be cut up like these animals that are there. It's a serious business. God is about to make Abraham a promise that he knew only him can fulfill. And so in verse number 12, before the work of death, God anesthetizes Abraham. He puts Abraham to sleep and said, Abraham, you cannot be a part of this portion because you are but a man. Fallibility is with you. It is possible you might break this. So I am going to elect somebody in your place as a substitute to walk between the carcasses. So Abraham was not stone cold. And the Bible said, there was a thick darkness that came. And then the most arcane thing happened. The Bible said, a burning smoke oven and then a lightning flash came walking in between the carcasses. In covenants, you can nominate somebody to be a substitute for another. So there were two uh, appearances, not just one. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses encounters God in a burning bush. When they left Egypt, going to the promised land by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, God led them. So when it comes to theophany, God is always represented by fire. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, our God is a consuming. So the one that walked in between the flesh was the father and the son. On behalf of Abraham to consummate that blood covenant because Abraham does not have what it takes to be to have fidelity to that covenant. Do you understand? Because of that, Abraham does not have a say. When God says, I will bring you to pass, he will bring you to pass. You did not partake in doing it you will not have the ability to annul it. Therefore, the blood covenant of God with Abraham is immutable. That means it is unchangeable. It is irreversible. Abraham cannot reverse it. And it is unstoppable. You can't stop it. Are we together? Abraham, now, as I begin to wind my message down, because of time. In Genesis 22, God comes to him. Now Isaac is born. After the blood covenant, Isaac is born. God says, I want you to take your son. Your only begotten son. The one that you love is becoming increasingly difficult now. 
your son, your only begotten son, the one that you love. Take him and go offer him as a sacrifice for me. Abraham woke up very early when Sarah was still asleep. Sarah was very old, you know. It was a good thing he did not discuss with the woman. I don't think he would have made a journey. He saddled the donkey. They put the firewood and stuff on it. And then they got two of his servants and they began to go for three days. They walked until they got to the base of Mount Moriah. And at that place, the Bible says, and Abraham told the servants and the asses. No donkey, I said asses. Why are you laughing? I don't know what is in your mind. Listen, there comes a time when you are going to do serious business with God, you leave the asses down there somewhere. It's biblical language. Or you want me to say beast of burden? No, it's ass. That's what the Bible says. It said, the Lord and I will go yonder. You people stay here. And they began to climb. Then the son asked him a question. Father, the wood, the fire, everything you have taught me about sacrifices. Every ingredient is here except one. Where is the animal that we will use? And Abraham, in verse number eight, says something profound. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the one that met me in chapter 15, the one that made a covenant without me, the one that made an irrevocable covenant, it is that Lord, he will provide himself Elam. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he will provide himself. Elam. Abraham laid Isaac on the wood, took a knife, and he offered him as a sacrifice. No, I did not misspeak. I said he offered him. He killed him. This Ghana man is going crazy. No, I'm not. It is the Bible then that is going crazy. I, he said it. I didn't say it. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17, the Bible said, by faith, Abraham, when he was ordered of God, offered Isaac. He offered him. It was as good as done. When he was about to do it, then God called, he had a voice, Abraham, turn and look north. You know, Golgotha and Moriah are within an eye shot in the realms of the spirit. Before Abraham saw the physical realm, he looked north and within an eye shot, he saw Calvary. And saw three crosses there. The one in the middle and God said, Abraham, you get to take your son home today. Because my son, the Lamb of God that was slain from before the foundations of the earth, I am providing myself. What does it mean the Lord shall provide himself? You see, from the time of Abel, man brings his own lamb. 
you have your lamb, you bring it. By the time you got to Exodus chapter 12 in the first Passover, it was no longer a lamb for a man. It was a lamb for a family. God said, every family get your own lamb and then put the blood on the doorpost. Remember? By the time they got to the wilderness, in the time of the tabernacle, it was no longer a lamb for a man, no longer a lamb for a family. It is now a lamb for a nation. Because the high priest, the Levitical high priest, once a year goes before God and offers what? Sacrificial offering unto God on behalf of the... What does Abraham mean by the Lord shall provide himself a lamb? As I get ready to close now. So much to give you, but let me close. Let me leave you with this. You know Jesus... And John the Baptist were second cousins, right? In fact, when Jesus was conceived of Mary, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was already six months pregnant. Mary went to go live with them for three months. And at the time of giving birth to John the Baptist, she left. I am sure in Bethlehem somewhere, they used to be playmates. They knew each other. They were cousins. Abraham told Isaac, the Lord shall provide himself a lamb. In John chapter 1 verse 29, as I close, John the Baptist received some visitors from the people. They were Pharisees and they were priests. They said, tell us about who you are. Are you the Christ that is supposed to come? He said, no, I am not that Christ. The following day, as he was baptizing, he saw Jesus coming, his cousin. All of a sudden, when he wore his prophetic mantle, he changed the perception about who Jesus is. He said, the Lamb of God. There he is, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the no longer a lamb for a man no longer a lamb for a family no longer a lamb for a nation Jesus is a lamb of God that takes away the sins of the and so in Luke 22 Jesus on the last Passover tells his disciples this is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood. That has been shared for you. Hallelujah. That is Jehovah shall provide himself. Elam, do you know the blood that Jesus shed was the blood of God? The only thing that can satisfy God is God himself. I am not blaspheming. It is scriptural. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts 20, 28. Paul invites the church leaders of Ephesus to Miletus. And as he was giving them his departing words, he said these things to them. He said, take care of the church of which God, of the church of Jesus Christ, which God has purchased with his own blood. Acts 20, 28 is in your Bible. So the blood of Christ is the blood of God that was shed for you. It is for your protection. It is for your deliverance. It is for your promises of God to come to pass in your life. It is for your protection. So the blood of Jesus in the new covenant was shed for you. But before he hung on the cross, something significant happened. 
that addressed a major issue in the Garden of Eden. When man sinned, God cursed, man was never cursed. What was cursed? The ground. Thank you. Jesus, the first Adam, the ground was cursed for his sake. The last Adam, before he goes to the cross, he was in the another garden called Garden of Gethsemane. And his soul was in agony. As he was praying, the Bible said, sweat and blood fell to death. May the Lord bless you.